0: Well, good morning, Providence. It is a joy to be with you guys this morning. Um, what an incredible truth that we just spent three songs singing I mean I, uh, what a privilege not only to to stand together and to raise our voices but to even know the truth that we were just given the grace to sing about uh, is a remarkable thing so This morning, we are in uh, the last week of a five week series on sharing our faith. And uh, that was born out of a three-year vision uh, that we have for where we believe God is taking us uh, over the next three years as a church. And you can see uh, that vision was laid out in May uh, by, by Pastor Frost. And uh, really there are three pieces of that vision to uh, plant our lives in the church, to plant the gospel in the community and plant churches in the world. And this five-week series has been born out of that second Arm of uh, of the three year vision to plant the gospel in our community, uh, and it's it's really just a, a way to say we want to equip you to be able to share the hope of Jesus uh, that has been given to us. And uh, we've looked over the last five weeks at, at what Brian has called five ingredients uh, that are all important but alone are not the full picture of what it's like and, what, and the power that we've been given to share our faith. And we started with remembering clearly, uh, just a recalling of the time that you come uh, to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then out of that in week two, we looked at that, 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 that remembering should spur us or compel us to live authentic lives that are consistent with what Jesus has done Uh, And that we would pray faithfully. Week three, we looked at praying faithfully for the opportunity to share that truth uh, with others. And then we looked at, at caring personally, all these things born out of what Jesus has done, that we would care personally as a as a reflection of the God of all comfort and care, the one who gives the greatest care. Uh, and then today, we're going to look at the final piece of that puzzle to share clearly. Now, uh, the truth of the matter is this. For most of us, if we've professed faith in Jesus Christ, uh, the first four, um, uh, they may be a challenge, but we feel comfortable with them, right? We, we feel comfortable thinking about what Jesus has done for us. We may even feel comfortable living out the truths of the scripture in a way that's authentic with people around us. Uh, we'll certainly pray for other people and we'll even extend a love through care. Uh, but we, we, like, we often like to stop short of there. Surely someone else can do ingredient number five, share? Do I actually have to speak to anyone in order to share my faith? And, uh, and what we see though in the scripture is that, that God expects that of us. The very last thing that Jesus said when he was with his disciples on this earth was to go and make disciples of all men and uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, that that, that that by default required that the truth would be spoken. And so as he commanded his disciples to go, he sent them with a message to proclaim. And the reality is that we should be sharing our faith. And so today, really, my task is simple. Uh, if we're gonna share our story, then, and we're gonna, we're gonna live out authentic lives, and we're gonna pray, and we're gonna, we're gonna care, then what is the, the essential piece of what we share? This morning, we're really gonna look at that, the content of what we share and how we ought. To share it, and we're going to do that by looking at a passage in First uh, Peter in uh, chapter three. If you are here with us today and you're in this room and you don't have a Bible, then there's one should be one in the chair in front of you, to your right or your left, and uh, you can certainly follow along with us in that. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, then that would be our gift to you that we'd love for you to take it. And uh, if you want, if you have that Bible, you can look on page one thousand and fifteen. That's where the passage is going to be. Uh, now, what I want to do really quick before we read the passage to just set up a little bit of the background of why Peter wrote this, this epistle um, the, the, and, and why Peter even has the right to, or I say the right to, why he addresses the things that we're gonna look at this morning. If you remember anything about Peter, you remember that at, at, upon Christ's arrest and his trial, that Peter, the one who would quickly speak at every opportunity, right? A man that was not short of words, uh, suddenly grows remarkably silent In the face of persecution and out of fear, not only does he not speak, but in the course of the evening of Christ's arrest and ultimately his crucifixion the next day, Peter denies Jesus three times. Peter, in fear, shuts down and doesn't share. And God in grace restores Peter after his Jesus' resurrection. He comes to Peter and he restores him. And then he gives him a task to feed his sheep. In other words, encourage those who will believe in me. So Peter spends the rest of his earthly life doing that very thing. And this letter is born out of that. And the recipients of this letter were believers that because of persecution against the church were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, primarily in Asia Minor. And he wrote a letter that he expected to be circulated among these believers who had been taken from what they knew and they'd moved into communities where there was no church, there was no gathered body of believers and he sent this letter as an encouragement to them knowing what they faced, knowing the fears that they had and and even the stress and the persecution and the suffering that may be either behind them or before them and he penned this letter. And this is what he writes in chapter three that gets to the heart of what the message is that we ought to share and how we ought to share it. Peter says, in verse, starting in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them or be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. I believe that this passage and the scripture as a whole uh, really have, there's four points that I think God intends for us to understand about the message that we're to share and how we ought to share it. Before we do that, let's pray and we'll hop right in. Father, thank you today for the grace that you've poured out on us. If we sit in this room or we are here through media, then the reality is that your message of hope is reaching our ears. And that is grace. grace. You would grant us the privilege of hearing the truth and that you would change us through it. So I pray this morning that we might have ears to hear what you would have us to, to, to learn, that we might put it into practice and we might with joy share what you've done in our own hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So from the beginning, God has spoken, right? In Genesis, the very first voice that is heard is not man's voice. It's God's. He speaks creation into existence and then he creates man and man actually hears the words of God first. I mean, imagine that man's voice was not the first voice to shatter the silence of created order. It was God's and he made himself known. And that's the truth of the scripture. All throughout the scripture, what we see is we see a God who makes himself known. He speaks to us. And even the writer of Hebrews says this clearly. He says in Hebrews one, long ago and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There was a time in Israel's life when, when God spoke to men who took his word and then spoke it to other men. But the writer goes on to say, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. He sent his son and his son then spoke to us. And he goes on to say about his son, who he appointed him an heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. In other words, Jesus, the one who came and spoke God's word in the flesh, was the same one who at creation spoke us into existence. Our life is ours because Jesus has breathed it into us. And and so we got a God who wants us to know him. He wants us to know him, but he also wants us to know his gospel. He wants us to know the truth of our need for him and the salvation that he offers. And so we have to ask ourselves then, if God wants us to know the gospel and we're believers and we confess faith and belief in Jesus Christ and the, and the gospel, then we, we've got to ask ourselves a question, what is the gospel? We use that term all the time. And there are tons of, of things that are said about it, uh, but, we, but if we're gonna share it, we ought to know what it is. And really at its core, the gospel is this. And what the scriptures teach us is God's story of his pursuit of sinners, God's story of his pursuit of sinners. It's a glorious story. It's a story of love. It's a story of betrayal. It's a story of unimaginable sacrifice and unmerited reconciliation. And it's a story that has, a, that has an ending that's better than any fairy tale that's been told. Right? That's a story. And, and from that sense, the whole of the scripture is telling the gospel, the, the, the big picture of what God is doing. And uh, there's, there's even a tool that's out there that, we, that we've made available to you guys to help tell that big story of what God is at work doing. It's called the three circles. And, and I just wanna take a second to walk through even this so you can see it in action. Uh, and, and, and we can look at what God would have for us to know. Now, the reality is for most of us, well, I, part, as we come into sharing our faith, there's always this tension of how do I even get started in a conversation, right? I mean, that's the hard part. Do I just go up and say, hey, I want to, I want to share, tell you about Jesus? And that has, certainly people do that and it works. But for most of us, we've got to ease into that, all right? And there's a reason why, and we're going to look at it in a minute. But the reality is that there's not a person who has lived much time on this, in this, on this earth who will not agree with you that this place is broken. I mean, we have anger and frustration and contention, We don't have to look very far to see that things don't work the way that they ought to. And for many of us, that's a starting point for conversation with others. Whether we meet people in their brokenness or we just are witnessing brokenness around us. And it gives us an entry point to talk about what God is at work doing because the world wasn't always broken. In fact, God designed the world perfectly And we can see details of God's order and even now in the things that were created. But early on as he created a perfect world and he made man, he actually made man. You guys know what you were made for? You were made to enjoy God's presence, to be a recipient of his love, to share in a relationship with him and know his power, his presence, and, and everything about him unhindered. But for most of us, we have to admit, that if, if, even if we're believers, we certainly can recall a time when we were very far away from God. And even if we are believers, there's probably a time in our lives now where we feel like we're separated from God. We feel the weight of the brokenness that's there. So what happened? Well, the, the scriptures tell us that it was sin. That God made us to enjoy Him and His love and His presence. And and, and to and, and in a sense to worship Him, to follow Him, to listen to Him and obey Him. And out of rebellion, we we stopped doing that. We wanted to be in control. And that was sin. Our disobedience to God and the way that He made us was sin. And sin led to brokenness. And it did the big thing that sin broke, if you look in Genesis, is sin broke our relationship with God, Adam and Eve suddenly realized that they could not come into God's presence. In fact, they hid from God. And the biggest problem that we have is the brokenness that exists between us and the God who made us. But that's not the only brokenness that exists. That actually affected everything else. And so we have tension in this world between one another because of sin. Because of our broken fellowship with God, we fight and we err, and we don't have to look very far in social media or on the news to see the effects of this. We don't have to look outside of the context of our own families. If you have children, you've seen this at work in your own children and in your own heart toward your children. And brokenness affected man's relationship with man, but it also affected man's relationship with the created world. Suddenly life got very hard. And what we've done since the garden is we've attempted to fix our brokenness with every imaginable thing possible. We've, we've attempted to fix brokenness with medicine, and with technology, with stuff. But every attempt that we have at fixing brokenness ultimately just leads to more brokenness. And if the story ended here, it'd be really bad news, but it doesn't because God, the one who made us, who made us for perfect relationship with him, he also pursues us to restore that relationship. And that's where the gospel comes in. When we say the gospel in this context, we're talking about something specific. And that is this, that God, out of a love for us, pursued us by sending his own son to this world, the broken world that sin now has affected He stepped into our brokenness. He lived perfectly the way that we could not and we can't. He went to the cross because of our brokenness and for our brokenness. He gave his life so that we might be restored to him. And all that the scriptures tell us that we have to do in order to receive what Jesus is offering is to repent of our brokenness, to to admit to God, I cannot do this alone. And to believe that Jesus did the unthinkable, that he paid the debt that I owed to a holy God, and he in turn restored my relationship with him. And out of that then, if we simply confess that, we repent and believe that God in that moment restores our relationship with him. Not because we deserve it, because frankly, we don't. To a person in this room, there is no one sitting here who deserves to be restored to God. But God, in His love and His grace, pursued us, and He does it through Jesus. And when He does that, then He restores us to be able to live out that design. And that's the message. That's the the message of the gospel. But it's only good news if we get to Jesus, right? And so we might say, "Well, what's essential? Do I have to share all of that when I share my faith?" Well, in some manner, you may. But the scripture tells us that there's really one key essential part to sharing the gospel that we have to get to. And Peter gets to it here in this passage in verse 18 when he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh and made alive again in the spirit. Now you may say, well, is that really the full context of the gospel? Well, you have to remember this is well into a letter Peter wrote. So if we look at the very beginning of 1 Peter, what we see Peter say to them is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to what? Be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's already told them the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done and the birth that he brings us. So when he gets to chapter three, he's skipping a rock back across it to remind them of the reason why they can have hope, where that hope comes from and why that hope gives us the ability to share. Paul says it this way, and in fact, I've heard this passage in 1 Corinthians called the gospel in a nutshell. If you want to know what you ought to get to when you share your faith with other people, then there's there's really three components, and they all revolve around Jesus and who he was. And this is how Paul says it. I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you. He goes on to say, the gospel that you received and in which you stand and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I've preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he says what that gospel was. For I delivered to you as a first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. In other words, that God already told us this this would happen. Right? It wasn't a surprise and it wasn't plan B that this was God's plan all along. According to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and then that he appeared. Right? So what are the key ingredients that we have to share? If we're gonna get to the good news, then we need to share that God sent Jesus to save us and that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, and he died our death, and it was all in accord with what God had already said would happen so that we might be restored to him. And not only that, when God was, when, when Jesus was resurrected, that he actually appeared to people, and then the, the scriptures have eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to confirm for us now, even today as we read, the truthfulness of what God was at work doing. And that's at the core of the gospel. What is common is Jesus. It's not good news if we don't get to the Savior. But that's the joy of what we get to share. Jesus makes the good news good. God wants us to know him and he wants us to know his gospel. And the simple reality is this, the good news of Jesus is only good if we get to it. And here's here's the remarkable thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just make our lives better. Jesus gives us life. If we're sharing with other people, Jesus is not a way to have a better life. Jesus is a way to have life. Guys, we're dead in our trespasses without Jesus. So the message that we get to share our story has to be his story that God would pursue us in our brokenness, And that he would rescue us through Jesus. And that he would restore our relationship with him. God doesn't just want us to know the gospel, but but God wants us to share the gospel. Good news was meant to be shared in the Old Testament. Um, there is a, there's a passage of scripture in Second Kings that uh, it, that that we what we find is we find the Syrian army has come against the nation of Israel. The, the kingdom is split. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The nation of Israel is under siege by the Syrian army. And uh, here's a remarkable thing: they're starving out the capital city, and the people are are perishing. And outside the walls of the city, set four lepers, men who could not come into the city because they were they had a disease that made them unclean. And they're talking amongst themselves, and they say to one another, "You know what? If we stay here, we're going to die." And uh, so we ought to just go to the Syrian army because if we go in the city, there's no food. We're gonna die anyway. So let's go to the Syrian army and they'll either kill us and we'll die or they'll, they'll, show, they'll show favor to us and we might get something to eat. So they muster up enough strength to go to the Syrian army, but they walk into the camp and the camp is deserted. And what we later find out is that God actually caused them to hear a report that was not true about them being, their, their homeland being attacked. And so they withdraw from the city and they go in such haste that they leave the entire camp. Everything in it, food, supplies, money bags, they just get up and leave. And these four lepers, men that were despised by the community because of their sickness, they walk into this camp and they plunder it. And they take food and they eat and then they gather up gold and some stuff and they go and they hide it. And then the scriptures tell us this in 2 Kings, they come to a place after they have done this and they say to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent and we wait until morning, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, let's come and go and tell the king's household. Guys, good news of salvation is meant to be shared. And even in the pages of the Old Testament, long before Jesus steps on this earth, God is showing us a picture of what is to come for us. Salvation through the hand of God is not meant to be kept quiet. The message that we get to share is good news that people need to hear. And not only does God expect us to share it, but he expects us to have opportunities to share it. And that ought to encourage us that God would expect us to share his story and he would expect us to have opportunities to share his story. Peter says in chapter three, verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for what? The hope that is in you. Now, hope is a funny thing, isn't it? When we talk about it in terms of desire, uh, we are in the, in the world's perspective, hope is a desire for something good that's in the future right? So we might use it like this. I hope this would be a hope of my children. I hope it doesn't rain today so that we might go to the pool after lunch, right? That's a hope. Uh, Or you might say, I hope state can put together a winning season this year in football, right? I'm hoping for something in the future. Or maybe this one, this has never happened to me. I hope uh, my, my plane is over an hour late departing. And my only hope of making my next connecting flight is if that connecting flight is also delayed, right? That's never happened to me traveling. Uh, And uh, and so, but it's always based on something preferred out in front of us, something good that we want that is in the future. But here's the funny thing about hope in the world's context. It's based on uncertainty. You ever thought about that? We hope on things that are uncertain. But when the Bible talks about hope and when Peter says, be prepared to give an account or, or, a defense for the hope that you have, it is, it is not talked about in that context. When the Bible talks about hope, it is certainly talking about a desire for something good that's coming in the future, but it is out of a complete confidence that it will come about. Why? Because hope is always wedded to faith in the scriptures you hardly ever find hope mentioned that faith is not there. Now, why is that important for us? Because faith isn't our faith. Faith in the scripture is not based on our hope of God. Faith is based on God's proven faithfulness. So hope suddenly is not on things that are uncertain, but hope in the biblical context is based on promises that God has made that we can be sure will come true. And that's why Peter says you ought to be able to live in a way that you are demonstrating for people around you that you have a hope that is certain. And then they'll ask you about it. God expects us to share the gospel. And he gives us opportunities to do so. And even this morning, you know, the neat thing about, about the scriptures, most of you, if I were to poll you, are probably sitting here and you would say, I profess belief in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so I'm telling you things that you already know. Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans, uh, he wrote a letter to a church that he'd never visited. He didn't start the church in Rome, but he knew of them. And he wrote a letter um, telling them he was planning to come and visit them as he passed on the way to Spain. And in the very first chapter of Romans, he says, he says this to, to them in, in verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now think about this for a minute. Paul is not writing to unbelievers Paul is writing to believers and he says, I long to come to you and do what? To preach the gospel, the good news. Now, why would Paul wanna preach the gospel to people who already knew it? Because it is our hope. And there's nothing that we hear that ought to stir in us more joy and affection than to be retold the story of what Jesus has done. And so if you sit in this room and you've heard the gospel a thousand times, it ought to be as joyful to you today as it was the very first day that it fell on your ears. Because our hope rests in the promises that Jesus made through what he did in the gospel. And what he did is, is proven to be true by God's faithfulness over and over again. So our hope is in the gospel. But the reality is God, God expects us both to know his gospel and to share it, but he also knows our hearts. You remember, we, we come to sharing our faith with a little bit of trepidation, with fear. Almost every time we see it in the scriptures, testimony about God's salvation is attached to, an, to, to really usually to a spoken word of don't be afraid. Why does God do that? Because he knows our fears. And he wants us not to fear. So God graciously addresses our fears. And he does it even here in this passage with 1 Peter. Peter simply says, have no fear of them. Those who may oppose your message or may ridicule you for it or look at you and wonder, how absurd are they following this? He says, have no fear of them or be troubled, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Now the word regard there or honor, your scriptures may say honor Christ the Lord as holy. It's actually the same word for fear. So here's what Peter is saying. Don't fear man and his response to you and all the things that may be attached to that, but fear God. And you may say, well, that's great. You're telling me to replace one fear for the other. Right? Now, fear's is a, an interesting thing. See if this will help you guys think about it. I'm gonna put a couple of pictures up rapidly probably. So, all right? so the first one, there are lots of things that man fears, right? Uh, we may fear clowns. Right, I mean, legitimately, there are people, my daughters sat in, in uh, the service earlier and they said, I'm really angry at you for putting that picture up, <laughs> right? Because there are certain things that evoke fear in us. Some people may be afraid of snakes. Now, I don't have a picture of snakes because my wife told me if I put a picture of snakes on the board that she would not come to uh, worship this morning. But some of us have real fear of snakes. Some people are afraid of heights, right? This is a picture of uh, the ledge in Chicago, where you could stand on a glass floor, hundreds of stories above the city and look through it, right? And, 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 uh, and, and all of these things are, 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 are ways that we, that fear manifests itself in us. I wanna tell you a little story. There's another picture here, the story of a black, a black bear. Now, I'm not afraid of bears, all right? But I'm gonna tell you a story to see if this will, will help you guys to, to, uh, to realize this. So several years ago, I was in Idaho, and I was on a horse riding up a trail along a river, and I rode up on, a, on a, a sow and a cub, black bear. And they didn't hear me coming because we were on a trail that it was wet along this river and the river was loud. And we were we, we were downwind. And so when we the bear had no clue we were there until we were right up on him. And we didn't know the bear was there because we rode around a corner and they were there. So the cub goes up a tree, all right? The bear runs across the trail in front of me and up the hill about 20 yards and stops. Now here I am on a horse in between a cub in a tree and the sow uh, on the hill about 25 yards away. And uh, if you know anything about bears, well, if you don't know anything about bears, that's not good. And uh, so the, the so the sow turns and she squares off and she barks and she runs about five steps toward me. Now, you guys don't understand, I'm not afraid of bears. Now that was tense, but my horse is very afraid of, of bears. Now this wasn't my horse, it was a horse I was riding and the horse's name was Red. And Red had obviously been around bears before and didn't like bears because as soon as the bear jetted across, his ears went up. When the bear turned and barked at us and, and lunged at the horse, he does a, a 180 and goes on a full run the opposite direction down the trail, almost knocks a guy behind me off his horse and it takes me about 200 yards to get the horse to stop. Now, what does that have to do with us in fear? Fear in the world's perspective always calls us to run away from what we're afraid of, just like the horse. If we're afraid of something, we generally wanna get very far from it. When, when Peter says, don't fear man, but fear God, he's teaching us something different. When the scriptures use fear of the Lord, it's not that way. Now, it's certainly, we, we should have a, a healthy respect for God's holiness and his grace, but when God speaks of, his, of fearing him in the scriptures, it speaks in remarkable terms. Proverbs nine ten says this about the fear of the Lord, that it's the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Like it's good for us. Or maybe this one, this was a great one. Psalm 25, 14, listen to what the word says. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. I mean, there are dozens of other passages where we can look when God talks about fearing him, it's always for our good. And here's the thing about healthy fear of God. Replacing a fear of man and all the things that might stop us from wanting to speak of what God has done for a healthy fear of God. Fear of the Lord causes us to run to him, not from him. Because when we fear him, we know his holiness, but we also know his grace. We know the story of the gospel. We know the punishment we should receive, we know the grace that he pours out on us because of what Jesus has done. So, God addresses our fears by saying, Don't fear man, fear me. And then he leads us to this place. All of these things wrap up in, in this idea. The message that we share is the good news of a God who could destroy us because of our sin, but instead rescues us through the shed blood of Jesus. And he gives us that story to share to other people. And he tells us, I'm with you and I'm I'm alongside you. The hope that you have in me is a hope that is guaranteed. Don't be afraid of what can happen to you because you're hidden in my my arms. And the message that we share, he then compels us to share with humility. Do it with gentleness and respect, is what Peter says. Now, why? Why? A lot of times the greatest offense to people when we share our faith is the pride in which we share it. But guys, if we understand the depths of the gospel, there's nothing proud about it for us. We were dead in our trespasses and needed a savior. The hero of our story is not ourselves. The hero of our story is, it's a loving and gracious God. No matter what we've done, or where we've been, no matter how far away from him we've run or we find ourselves, God's grace and his love are deeper than our sin. And the amazing story of the gospel is a story of restoration that is granted not because we merit it, but because God is loving and gracious. And because his justice is upheld, right? The weight of the gospel rests on the fact that God doesn't overlook our sin, but he punished it in Jesus. Let that sink in. If you wanna have something compel you to affection for God, as as your sinfulness is elevated in your eyes and you realize the depth of your sin, at the same time, Remarkably, the love of Jesus is elevated because it's greater than your sinfulness. And He went to the cross on your behalf because of all these things that are terrible and deserve death. Jesus took them. God didn't overlook them, He poured it out on His Son. And we didn't even deserve it. We weren't pursuing God, we weren't loving Jesus first. He loved us when we were unlovable. And that ought to produce in us a deep sense of humility. Not of God, right? God is remarkable, but humility of our own story and our need for him and a recognition that others need to hear it. And so as we share, let's share with humility as Peter calls us to. We have good news. So I wanna leave you with, Three application points that flow out of the story that he's granted us to share and how we ought to share it. And it's this, as we remember, right? As we remember the story of God's grace and his salvation in our own lives through what Jesus has done, let's cherish Jesus and his gospel. If we don't love Jesus, we're not gonna share. So let's cherish Jesus and his gospel and let's recall the story of our salvation often. Right? because it will spur in us affection for him and a recognition that it's a story that the world needs to know. And then lastly, let's share that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ at every opportunity that the Lord gives us. God, we, guys, we, we have good news. And the good news that we have is meant to be shared. And God's promise is, that he'll give us the opportunity to share it because others need to hear it. So let's pray. Father, would you even today give us the grace to to remember our story clearly? And Lord, if there are some here who don't have a story of salvation because they've never trusted in you, then even today, Lord, would you cause the gospel to fall on them and to consume them and their hearts might be drawn to you and they might confess and believe. God, even now as we stand before you and we lift our voices and we give our tithes and our offerings, would you take the gifts that we bring that are really just gifts that you've stewarded to us and will you multiply them in a way even in the context of this body that they might be used for the proclaiming of your gospel to those who need to hear it? Lord, as we leave this place, would you you cause our hearts to be stirred with the longing to see the good news of Jesus proclaimed to everyone that they might have the chance to be restored to you and be a part of the family of faith. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that you offer through him. It's in his powerful and strong name that we pray these things, amen.